I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. Welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dillon Thomas, and today we're going to talk about the status quo bias that was uh, cipher from The Matrix, um, betraying his comrades, um, all based on the notion that it is better to live in an unreality than a real reality. Um, so the way this ties in is that the status quo bias is exactly what it sounds like. Um, the way things are right now is the way that you want them to stay. And one sort of thought experiment that... Uh, examines this is this idea of like if I were to say to you hey would you like to go live in this virtual world you'll never know the difference right you'll think you're alive and normal but you'll actually be like you know a brain in a jar it'll be completely unconscious um and you might imagine a lot of people would say well I mean that sounds cool but like you know I'd miss the human connections and yada yada now that same question right um, except the premise is that okay um you wake up one morning and somebody tells you oh oops we accidentally stuck you in a virtual reality, like the past nine years of your life have actually been in this virtual reality. Um, and you know, our bad, we can take you out of it if you want, or if you want, you know, since you know, it's on our dime, you can, you can stay, it was our mistake, you can stay if you want. Um, that's a different question, right? I mean, it isn't really, do you or do you not want to live in a virtual reality? But the circumstances are different because the status quo in each case is different. You know, if you lived outside of that reality, now you'd have to change. It seems weird. If you lived in the virtual reality and you have to change, also seems weird. And as it turns out, 59% of people who were asked this scenario said, you know what, I'm just going to stay in the virtual reality. I'm good, right? So the status quo makes all the difference. What you're used to makes all the difference. And you see this also with um, like health plans. They'll do studies and uh, new employees will go with like sort of um, like whatever health plan actually seems to be the best health plan. Um, existing employees stick with whatever they've got, even if a better alternative has suddenly kind of show up. Like on, uh, by the numbers, it tends to be how it plays out, right? Because the existing members already have a status quo established that they don't want to mess with. Um, there was another one around the U.S. Equity Mutual Fund where they found people, even after that fund was no longer the best option that was still like the retirement plan they went with. Now, the interesting thing about status quo bias, it doesn't just have to be something you've experienced, right? It can be something that you think Right, that or, or or you've been told other people have experienced and are used to, and so you go with it. So, um, so for example, if I, um, you know, tell you that here's a bunch of different financial investments you can go with, um, here's the one that most people choose. Right, if it's a difficult decision and you're not well versed in those things, you'll probably just go with the one that you've been told most people choose. Right, so if it's a status quo for somebody, it's probably a good thing. I'll go with that. Right, or. Um, uh, or defaults, right? Um, so like uh, organ donor cards, very famously, if you make the default, I'm not going to be a donor, most people aren't donors. If you make the default, I am a donor, most people will be donors, right? Um, the same thing with like privacy policies. If you never examine your privacy policy you know, on Facebook or whatever, you probably won't change it, even if you have different options for how you set your privacy settings, right? Um, or retirement plans, if you make them opt out, more people will actually use them and have them than if you make them opt in. Um, uh, and again, going back to that notion of like, 
whatever you think the status quo is if like you're trying to choose a new car color and you can't decide and I tell you well most people choose red you'll choose red right so this is a really there's a real power not just to the status quo that you're personally used to but to the status quo that you're just told there is one right um, and this you know we've done enough of these now where I can talk about biases that are actually collections or related to other biases. So this one ties in loss aversion and endowment effect and mere exposure effect and some cost fallacy, all of which we've talked about before, and all of which come back to this notion of switching costs, right? Changing the way that things are now is difficult. It costs us, you know, mental energy, it costs us willpower, it costs us like on all these ways that, you know, we'd rather just say, you know what, the way things are is good enough. It's gonna take way too much effort you know, mentally or physically to change things. Let's just stick with the way things are, right? And the more dis difficult the decision is, um, the more likely we are to just not act and let things stay the same. Um, and so there's a, a really interesting um, tennis line test. So they have people watch a, a tennis game and they have to judge whether or not, like, you know, when the tennis ball landed, was it on the line or not, right? Was it, was it in inbounds or not? And the way it works is if you think, if you disagree with the decision, right, that's been made, you have to actually lift your finger off of a button rather than press it. So if you think that the decision was sound, you just leave your finger where it is, everything, you know, and, and it's cool. If you disagree, you have to actually take your finger off. And what they found is the more difficult the call, like the trickier it is to figure out if the, the ball was on the line or not, um, the more likely people were to just not do anything, right? And they just left their finger on there. Of course I'm respectable. I'm old. Politicians, ugly buildings, and whores all get respectable if they last long enough. And there's a related bias here called uh, existence bias, um, where the idea is that if something's been around long enough, it kind of is the equivalent of being the status quo, therefore it must be safe. This is why you, you know, say how long your business has been around. Established, 1962 or whatever it is. Um, been around for 30 years, 100 years that we've been doing this thing, right? And then, of course, like the Chinatown quote we just had there of like, you know, anything, right? as long as it lasts, suddenly becomes respectable, right? Because if it's been around for a while, we assume it's the status quo, it must have validity, right? Um, the whole notion of conservatism is really based on the status quo bias, right? Like the, the whole notion of that is just that the way things are, the way things have been, the way things used to be, that's the better way, that's the good way. And we've seen a lot of this actually with, you know, sort of like this notion that a lot of uh, Trump voters or conservative voters are trying to like dial the clock back to 1950. And I'm sure in the 1950s, conservative voters are trying to dial the clock back to like the 1910s or whatever it is, right? But whatever that, you know, strain of that of things that you think, you know, should be lasting and is going away, you're going to sort of fight to keep it that way, right? We want things to stay the same. Um, now, this obviously has like huge impacts, right, when we're growing up and, you know, if you have um, the things you accept like in your classroom as you're growing up or you see around you, you start to accept it as the status quo. And not just that, but because they're the status quo and there's this status quo bias, you begin to think that they're good and right and should stay the way they are, right? So if you grow up and you never read anything by diverse um, uh, from diverse uh, authors, right? Or you never see sort of like gender roles that are equitable or you never see, you know, uh, people of color, you never see people of different sexualities um, expressing themselves. You begin to think that whatever is heteronormative, whatever is white, whatever is male, you know, like is sort of like, okay, that's the status quo, that's the way things should be. And anything that deviates from that suddenly is less viable, is less good. And I can even, you know, in my own life, um, growing up, 
right? Um, my dad wasn't really around, and so the sort of male figures I kind of you know clung to were these you know, action heroes in '80s action movies. So you got your Martin Riggs, you got your Harrison Ford in Star Wars, or um, Indiana Jones, you've got James Bond, and like, you know, what do all these figures have in common? They're all white dudes. And so when it came time for me to start telling stories and making movies, um, like the characters I would write, generally speaking, were white dudes. And this wasn't because I was consciously thinking, oh yeah, this should be, for the sake of the story, a white dude, right? That's exactly what, you know, I'm going for. That's the experience I'm trying to express here. It's just, no, in my head, that was the status quo. And because the status quo must be good. And it wasn't for a long time before I started to think about, um, you know, maybe there's, you know, what Alyssa Rosenberg likes to say, like storytelling left on the table, right? Like that there's actually more interesting stories to tell if you don't just go with that default. Um, but that was a long time before I started to make that cognitive leap. You know, if I hadn't, I would have just gone with the status quo bias of, oh, just let's write another strong white male to save the day. Um, so it's really important, right? Like if we think about why are people so, you know, up in arms or so happy that like the next Doctor Who is going to be um, uh, played by a woman, right? Like why is that a big deal? Why are people, you know, so excited about Wonder Woman or, you know, um, the diversity in Spider-Man or Black Panther coming out next year? It's because these things matter, right? These things are what our kids are seeing and accepting as the status quo. So maybe when they get older, right, the status quo right, will be something more diverse, will be something that is more inclusive. I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, um, in the campaign last year, right, um, uh, Kieran asked us something along the lines of, uh, uh, is Hillary a black? And after we corrected his grammar, right, <laughs> one of the things we sort of asked is like, well, why do you think that she's black? And, you know, because I hadn't seen that campaign ads or whatever yet. And he was like, you know, it became clear, like, well, for the eight years, he was born in 2008. So for the entirety of his life, the leader of the free world has been a black man. For him, that is the status quo, right? So that's really exciting to me that a lot of people now as they come up, as they get older, in their youth, they're kind of being indoctrinated with the status quo being something that is more diverse, that is more inclusive, you know, and I hope that continues because that is a really powerful way that that bias gets formed and it's really hard to undo. Um, so uh, that's uh, one last thing around that, um, which is sort of interesting if you're trying to think about how to fight the status quo bias in your own life. Someone invented uh, this thing called the reversal test, and it's a way of thinking about a problem that indicates whether or not you're making your decisions simply based on the status quo and not because you've really thought through the consequences. And so the reversal test basically says whatever thing that you're kind of arguing against, Ask yourself, if you don't want more of that thing, is it also logical then to want less of that thing? Are you also on board with having less of it? So if you say that, um, you know, the smarter that people get, you know, the worse weapons they'll build, and so uh, people shouldn't, like, greater intelligence isn't good. We shouldn't, man humankind should not get any smarter than it already is, right? In which case, you have to ask, to be fair, you should ask yourself the opposite question, which is to say, well, then in that case, should we make people dumber, right? Should we decrease intelligence? Is that the better way? Or are you simply basing that on where the status quo of intelligence has been, and you just don't want it to go any further, right? Um, and you can sort of apply that to almost any kind of thing where it's like, I don't want more of that, Then we should, versus saying, okay, well, fine, do you want less of it? And, and then it forces you to ask yourself, okay, well, what is it actually about that thing that you're objecting to? Um, 
So anyway, little little mental game to play if you want to sort of check for status quo bias in your life. Um, that is all for this week. We will see you next time for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Uh, I am your host, David Dolan Thomas. Thanks. Thanks.